on my podcast today is a woman who took her know-it-all to a place where no one expected, hailing from the DMV area. She went from there to a town in Mexico to open up a business called Black Sea Cochina. On my podcast today is Tia Darnell, Tiara Darnell. Greetings, love. How are you? Um, well, thank you so much. How's your day going? Um, it's pretty crazy. We're actually about to roll out a new dinner, well, like a new general menu and a new brunch menu this weekend. So we are frantically getting ready for all of that because we expect there's going to be a packed house Saturday and Sunday, especially. Uh huh. So do you do uh seasonal men menus? Yeah, I mean, because of being in Mexico where everything has kind of like its own season, we definitely have um, a rotating list of uh, plates and stuff. But also this is something that I've been wanting for a long time, which is just to like take the menu that we've had that's existed and just make it, yeah, even better than it has been. And also, like I said, you know, we've, we're rolling out the new brunch menu and that's mainly because we've only been open for about seven months. And this is a process like you can't just get out there and run a marathon when you haven't really, you know, been training. And so for us, like we've had seven months of mostly dinner and lunch service and a lot of different events and stuff. So this is exciting because, yeah, we're going to be cooking seasonally with all of the things that fall offers here in Mexico, but also just like bringing in some new teammates and like new people in the kitchen. And it's what gives me really good. All right. Excellent. I like the sound of that. What gave you the idea to go from D.C. to the DMV area, pardon me, to Mexico? Well, honestly, I mean, I haven't lived in D.C. now and going on probably like 14 years. Okay. Um, I'm originally from PG County, Maryland, uh, Mitchellville, Maryland, for those who know. And my whole mom's side of the family is from D.C. So I grew up, you know, going to to D.C. like just down the road all the time when I go back home to the U.S. like D.C. is where I go that's where my family is but I lived in Morocco for two years I did the Peace Corps there I lived in Portland Oregon for eight years and then Buffalo New York for about a year before I came down here to Mexico City and I came down to Mexico honestly because of the pandemic I was just feeling like I didn't really like vibe with Buffalo um, I wasn't there for very long before the pandemic started and so it was obviously very hard to get to know people because we were all, you know, inside. And so I had a friend uh, who was living in Mexico and I saw him the first Christmas of the pandemic. And he was just like, what are you even doing here? Like, you're already working remotely. You might as well go do it somewhere else. And he had had such a great experience here that I decided to like look into it. I saw that it was really easy to get the, you know, six month tourist visa. I came down here in March, 2021 thinking that I was going to be here for six months. My employer didn't know I was here. So that was like a whole thing too. But um, my employer at the time, but I came down for six months and then kept extending, kept extending. And then eventually my team um, where I was working got laid off um, in January of 2022. And at that point I had already signed a lease on an apartment. So I was pretty much here. So I'm like, well, if you're going to get laid off, it's a good thing to get laid off in Mexico. And I think all so too, because I had been here for like nine months at that point, I was able to save like half of my paycheck religiously. And so I had like six months of savings already saved up. So by the time I got laid off, it wasn't like this frantic panic to go find another job 
I could really just take my time and figure out what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I started doing pop-ups out of the roof, off the roof of my house in my tiny kitchen. And those pop-ups a year later led to Flexi Cocina. Okay. You said earlier you started out, you, you were doing work in the Peace Corps? Yeah, I did two years in Morocco with the Peace okay. Corps. Okay. How did that come about? What 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 got you into that? Um, I think two things. Like my dad was in the Air Force, but we didn't really travel around. My mom was sort of like, Uncle Sam picked you, not us. So he traveled around. We stayed behind and he would always send me postcards from all the different places that he would be stationed. And so I remember as a kid, like running to greet the mailman, looking for the next postcard, you know. And so I think that that really expanded my mind um, beyond the cul-de-sac that I lived on in Peachy County. And so I was always from a young age thinking about like, you know, other countries, other people, other places. And then when I was in eighth grade, I had a, a teacher who, I think her cousin or like her niece or somebody did the Peace Corps. And so she just like mentioned it kind of off topic, but I remember going home and, you know, getting the old dial up going on AOL and like looking <laughs> to see what the Peace Corps was all about. And once I read about it, I was just like, okay, after college, I'm doing that. And I think that's the only thing that I've ever been like, a hundred percent sure of in my entire life was that I was going to do the piece about the college. And I did. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So your love for food and cooking, mm -hmm. where did that, where did that start from? My mom, honestly, the matriarchs of my family, like, you know, we just always, they might complain about cooking, but they kind of love entertaining and, you know, cooking and food go along with entertaining. Like you can't have a, you can't have a big whiz night. You can't have a space night without some good food around the table. And so I was always from a young age in the kitchen, you know, helping stir rice or cut, you know, when I was old enough to use a knife, um, you know, chopping onions or whatever it is. And so I just enjoyed that process and enjoyed doing it with my family. And I think above all, just enjoy people eating the food that, you know, we made and just feeling like really welcome. And so that's something that I have always loved and is honestly at the center of my motivation to do something like this. Because I think you don't have to know a lot about restaurants to know that it's one of the toughest businesses that are out there. A lot of Absolutely. restaurants fail early on and there's a lot of different reasons for that. And I'm out here doing something that I've never owned a restaurant before. I think cumulatively in my entire life, I've probably worked two months in a restaurant. So this is what? not something that I've had experience doing at all. And on top of that, I'm doing it in a foreign country in a language that is not my native language. So, you know, every possible challenge you can have, like magnify that times like 10 because of the circumstances that I find myself in being in Mexico. Wow. That, that's that's amazing. So to introduce myself, I'm Creed. He forgot to give me any introduction, but we're Blah. not going gonna to dwell Ooh. on that. <laughs> But I have a question because I looked up um your your IG page and I think it's amazing that you're out in Mexico and trying to like spread soul food to like other parts of the world. But it looks like it's more of like a soul food Mexican fusion at this point. Like what has inspired you to like create your menu in that way? Well, I mean, honestly, I think that's one of the biggest things is kind of like explaining to people when they come down here, like they have a expectation that the soul food is going to be like what they get you know generally anywhere in the u.s and it's like uh to the extent that we can we try to recreate that because of course we all want food that tastes like home 
but we're not home. And so I can't find all of the same ingredients that I would always find, you know, like at any Safeway or, you know, I don't know, like whatever your local grocery store is, like, it's just not that easy. And so there's some times where, yeah, I can find those things. And there's some times where I got to make substitutions. And I think that that's actually, you know, one of the beautiful things about soul food, because people, Black people didn't just stay in the South, you know, they took those traditions and stuff with them across the country. And now we have all these different styles and regional varieties of soul food because it's based on where you are it's based on your geography and so it's the same thing here you know like by nature of being in mexico this is soul food mexican fusion because everything that we get is it's you know basically from here the vast majority of things and so everything from like you know the collard greens that you yeah those seeds i brought the seeds from the u.s so they're grown here in mexican soil and you know like um the tomatoes and just, I don't know, there's so many things, the cornbread, like we we buy our own corn and grind it to make the bricks in the cornbread. I read so about this ain't that. No jiffy. This ain't Jiffy over here. No, I, re I read <laughs> about <laughs> that. That's amazing. Yeah. So I read about that for you. You had, you had trouble with the, with, uh, the corn and that you had to have like family members or, or something. I forgot how it went, but you had to have someone bring it back for you because uh, the way that they process corn isn't the same way that you desire to have it and and use it for the dishes that you prepare? Well, I think that, yeah, like it's so, okay, for example, I didn't ac actually ask anybody to bring me cornmeal, like, you know, Jiffy or like, I don't know, whatever, because I was like, all right, let me just figure out how to do this on my own. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're running a business. And so if your business relies on a product that you can only get when somebody's flying in, that's a little dicey. So I need to figure out how to get it and make it, you know, something that it's easy for me to do here and to and to get here. And so with the corn, you know, I think the thing about corn in Mexico, Mexico is that um, most of the things that they, the corn products that they have undergo this process that's called nixtamalization. And basically what they're doing is they're wetting the corn, softening it up, and then grinding it. So they can make tortillas and slacoyos and like all these different things that, you know, are corn based here. In the U.S., we don't really have that process because most of the things that we use corn for, the corn is dry. So if you're having grits, if you're having cornbread, that's coming from dry corn that was, um, that was, well, I can only think of the word in Spanish right now, that was ground, uh, you know, in order to make it that consistency. And so that's just a cultural difference between Mexico and the U.S. So there's no cultural context for them to have really different varieties of cornmeal or different types of cornmeal because they don't use it. It's not a staple in their culture. Um, and so that's kind of like, you know, the thing that makes the cornbread especially unique here. And then besides that, like, you know, little stuff that I can't fully recreate it. So I have to have somebody bring it. Um, blue Kool-Aid, we have like a... <laughs> a drink here on the menu that requires blue Kool-Aid. So I'm always looking for somebody to mule some, you know, ice blue raspberry Kool-Aid or whatever that stuff is called for me, bring it back from the U.S. Um, Old Bay seasoning, can't mm. get that here. It's very difficult. Um, I was talking about Old Bay to somebody else and Old Bay heard about it and they hooked me up with uh, oh, nice. some bottles. So that was really great. Um, and then besides that, I think like, most other stuff I can kind of do without or like figure it out for myself. So I haven't really had too many issues, but there's certain things like that, like, you know, Old Bay 
especially being from the Maryland DC area, like it just has to taste like Old Bay. Otherwise it's something else. So there's certain things like that that you just can't recreate and that's okay. So we just gotta, you know, get it when we can get it. And when we got it, we ration it out. <laughs> the collard greens, have you started like your own small garden for that? I actually started working with a Mexican farmer who um, actually was already growing them. But mm. from how I understand it, like he got these seeds from somebody thinking that they were kale seeds and it turns out they were collars. So he didn't really know what he had and he was growing them and kind of selling them, you know, here and there a little bit to the time. And I found out that he had them and I started buying him out every single week. And then when I went back to DC in February, I caught up with the, uh, some representatives from the heirloom collar project that's there in Southern Virginia. And they basically are guardians of like heritage types of collard green seeds. So I didn't know that there's over 200 different types of collard green seeds. Like for me, oh, I just wow. over 200 different varieties of collard greens. So like, you know, when I went to the grocery store in the U.S., it was pretty much like the one that I saw. It kind of looks the same. And so this has been kind of um, an awakening for me in terms of like learning about like the heritage of some of the ingredients that are staples to soul food, things that I didn't know. But I know now because I'm explaining to them what they mean to us as a people, to a people here who don't have, like I said, the cultural context for this food. And and honestly, I mean, in some cases, maybe don't even fully understand that like there's Black people in the U.S. and we're different from Black people from the Caribbean, from Africa, you know, from anywhere else. So it's, it's a lot of conversations, a lot of education is happening around this. Awesome. Awesome. Nacimiento de los Negros. Do you know what that is? Yes, it's a town in northern Mexico where a lot of uh, former slaves, escaped slaves, also settled and intermingled and intermarried with Mexicanos. That is true. And they have been celebrating Juneteenth for as long as we have here. Yes, yes. I would love. It's a, a bucket listing to go there someday. I was going to ask you that. Wow. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, but for right now, you're too busy being grounded and, and, and disciplined about this restaurant and, and this great idea you have. So you have to focus in on that. So how far down the line do you would that be? Is that something like you're not even thinking about because you're currently just trying to make sure that the, the restaurant is, is moving? Um, I would love to go. Um, I'm going to be honest, like the security situation in northern Mexico is probably the one thing that keeps me from doing that especially like traveling on my own or whatever i just mm. uh, it's something i would love to do but i'm just very realistic about what the situation is and if an opportunity presents itself and it seems like it's safe to do so i will 100 percent go but until that time i would just be here doing what i'm doing and i understand that you can stay where it's safe and, and keep on working and grinding mm -hmm. i totally get that I have a question real quick. So I'm very curious. So you're making soul food in Mexico, and obviously the majority of your customer base is probably the in the people who live there. So what is their reaction to what you're doing? Like, how are they? I mean, obviously you able to continue your restaurants around, but like, I'm just curious, like, do they like just like have like really like strong reactions and want to talk to you or have you talked to the customers i'm just so curious to how that's going down there well honestly i mean i feel like we have 
um, probably more like Black Americans that either live here or who are visiting, like thinking about moving here, um, or folks who are just coming through for, you know, like a good time and they heard about the place and they stopped through. So a lot of our clientele right now is definitely from um, the Black, from the U.S. community. Uh, and then uh, after uh, that, you know, foreigners in general who have heard the flow food, they know what's up. And then after that, yeah, we, because we're in, especially because we're in like a neighborhood that is not, um, it's not like overly saturated with foreigners. We're kind of like over here in the cut a little bit, like just in the shadow of some of those areas. Um, um, because of that, we have a lot more Mexicans who are coming, but it's also a challenge because I speak Spanish pretty, like at an advanced level, but I'm not totally fluent. So like our social mm. media strategy and like all of that and like reaching out to like Mexican media and stuff has been slow to develop, mm. even though it's something that we're aware of and something we want to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once we can actually like have conversations about what we're doing in the language of, you know, the vast majority of people um, in the city, then we'll be able to have more. But of the people who've come, like they've been, they love the food. And they're like, yeah, like this is really good. And we love the vibes and we love the music and like everything you're doing here. So I feel like it's generally been very well received. And I think mm-hmm. also because, you know, I'm out here and I'm very cognizant of the fact that gentrification is something that is a big topic of conversation here, especially as more foreigners like flood into the city. Um, Mm. You know, I think that the only thing I can really say to that is there's the gentrifiers who care and the gentrifiers who don't. And so Mm. you can have one or the other. And at least for me, like everything from, you know, me learning Spanish and be able to speak and have conversations with people to, the staff here being locals that we've hired to the vendors that we've worked with being Mexican nationals. Like we are doing everything we can to make sure that we are upholding the values and the vision that I have for this place being something that, you know, is it's a a concept and a, a project that we're taking part in the community and not just taking from the community. So that's, you know, always going to be like a North star for us. Did you run into issues opening up your restaurant when they saw you? Did it was they were people like, no, we're not, we're not gonna allow that, or was it just total, total open arms when you did it? No, I didn't have any issues. Um, I mean, not there. I mean, there's issues, yeah, because like in any country, there's bureaucracy, and so you have to learn how to navigate the bureaucracy of the place where you are. And on top of that, yeah, it's a challenge because I got to navigate the bureaucracy in Spanish, which is, you know, like I said, is not my first language. But generally speaking, I feel like I got really lucky. I have a um, a really good landlord, like he's a solid dude and he pretty much lets us do whatever we want. And yeah, I mean, that's half the battle right there, honestly. So besides that, it's just paperwork and having enough money to pay the right person to make it go away, whatever the challenge is. Interesting. Interesting. My next question to you would be, do you plan on owning land there so you can start doing your own farming? Man, I mean, it would be a dream to be able to have a piece of land somewhere. But I mean, I wouldn't do it for like commercial purposes. I just want that for me personally. I don't have any plans right now to start any kind of, you know, community garden or like 
something like that. I think we're good, you know, how we are. And, and also, this is, like I said, something that's been open for seven months. I think we got a good, like, three years to go before this place is, like, you know, able to to stand on its own. And I can step away um, for a larger amount of times. Okay, yeah. From what I understand about, uh, I worked in, in the hospitality industry. And from mm -hmm. what I understand, if it if you're open for more than a year and a half, you're good. You know, so yeah. Well, I am confident that we will we will be there. It's definitely been a lot of um, yeah, like I said, a lot of challenges and things yep. to overcome. I think that you know everybody sees what they see on social media, and they're like, "This is amazing. This is great." Um, it is amazing. It is great, but it's also something that brings me to tears frequently because there's just so much work that goes into it and so much sacrifice and especially doing this having had up to this point zero and i mean zero investors like real bona fide investors i've had some people who are like friends and family who have given me money and you know helped on like small with little small scale donations which have gone quite far it's gotten us you know some things like uh another refrigerator and, you know, um, some other appliances or maybe even help us make that little bit of difference to get the rent taken care of for one month. But generally speaking, this has all been me and I didn't have a lot of savings when I started. Um, you know, I think I started with like 20,000 in savings that I hadn't even paid my taxes on yet. So I owe taxes. I have put myself in all kind of financial craziness to get mm -hmm. this thing going. So when I tell you that it has been a sacrifice and it is a labor of love, I mean that in every possible sense. I totally understand. But what you're doing is very different and unique and all the blessings that and hard work that you have put into this will come to fruition. All you got to do is just keep working. Yeah. I'm quite sure that the tears and sacrifice will in the end bring you much joy and happiness. Yes, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't be doing this and doing anything else. So, yeah, gotta pay the cost to be the boss. You know what it is. It's, it's all that's a real statement. When anybody try to be an entrepreneur, then you learn it real quick. Like, oh, this mm -hmm. is a real statement, and I know what it means to pay that cost now. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I saw when I saw. Cause I was just scrolling one day and I mm -hmm. saw that I was like, this is interesting. Let me look up some background on it. And the more I started, I started reading articles about, it, I was like, man, this, this is pretty cool. And then I read that you weren't in America. I was like, what? She took the time to go over there and do that. Like that's a big step out on faith. You know what I mean? And, and not just the, the faith, to believe in it, but the faith to do it and put actions to words, you know? So I, I commend you on what you've done. I believe that I think not, I believe, I think that what you're doing is excellent and all you have to con continue to do is just continue to grind. It's it'll, it'll get there. No, not grind. I shouldn't say grind, continue to work. Cause grinding means that you're going to beat yourself into the dust, but continue to yeah. work. Yeah. We're not going yeah. to say grind. Yeah. I have to be very careful with the words I choose. All right. So apologize. Words are powerful. Very powerful. <laughs> well, and it's a good reminder to me too, because honestly, like I said, you know, like the, the mental health side of entrepreneurship, I don't know that that's always talked about. 
enough. I certainly haven't heard, you know, a lot about it, um, but that's a real thing. You know, it's really hard sometimes to, that you can believe in what you're doing, but there can also be those days when it just feels like everything is just too much mm-hmm. and it's difficult to see yourself continuing and especially knowing, like, especially in this case, because, you know, I'm not the, I don't, I'm not just an employee here. I'm not just a general manager. Like I'm the owner and I put everything into this. So every single problem, every single issue, whether that's something with the building or with, you know, the customer or with, with um, you know, like uh, whatever the financials, like any per- personnel, like people in their own private lives and personal things that they bring to work, like any issue is going to go through me. I'm going to be affected by it. I have to make a decision about it. And so that's a lot. Like even now, you know, like I'm, I'm here and, you know, I'm sorry I was late to the interview because there's the gas people who are here to fix this thing that broke. And then I have somebody else here who's delivering groceries. It's like everything always happens at once. And so it's very, it's one of those things where your brain never shuts off. Like, I think that's with any business when you own it, like it is all consuming and it affects you, your mental health. It affects your relationships. Yes. Um, The ones that especially aren't strong enough to handle it, you know? So that is something that I think, like, like I said, a lot of people just don't don't talk about it, but it, it's really real. And they say that they say things like you're changing or you're not attentive to them anymore. But it's I have a I have something now. I have a baby that I have to take care of. Not a literal baby, but this is my right. thing now, and right. I have to right. pay more attention to that than I give to you because this thing needs to succeed, and I'm investing exactly. in it yeah. and I'm putting. And my- also that part, but also knowing. It won't be like that forever, but it's going to be like that for a while. Mm-hmm. And so are you are you going to ride with me through this or is this a seasonal relationship, friendship, whatever it is that we're in? And, you know, this this season is over. I think that's one of the biggest things that's like overlooked in the path of creating something and trying to be successful that person is going to make sacrifices and everybody in their life is not going to be happy with them all the time because of the sacrifices they have to make. And sometimes you have to choose, like if you're trying to create something that's going to be beneficial to more than just one person, sometimes you have to choose you and that thing other over, over, over other stuff at times. And, and people just going to have to feel how they're going to feel about it. You know, exactly. it's, it's unfortunate, but nobody that we see at them top levels was people pleasing. None of them people. They chose their passion in themselves and they went for it. And that's what you got to do. Yep. That is correct. Yeah, Because their, your sacrifice, your passion for the thing that you love is what, what ends up bringing the bonds and relationships back around and, and paying for some of the things that these people love, you know? Mm-hmm. So they stand on the shoulders of you after you've done all the hard work and you look at the guys like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, or mm-hmm. the, the business owners that are out there, the billionaires, all these different people, like they put so much into it and they were dedicated to that. So you're doing what you're supposed to. You're walking a journey. It's your journey. And, you will get through it. We uh, we know this. What you have is, again, it's very unique. It's very special. And, and I love it. And Creed, one day we're going to have to go down there, buddy, and, and check oh, this out. 
That's that's facts. That's yeah. that's happening in 2024 for sure. <laughs> Passport is already in route, so that's there definitely happening. <laughs> there you go. Y'all are only get the red flight away. It's like hella. Mexicano. I'm in California already, so I'm not even far. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, exactly. That's that's easy, easy flight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. And I that's definitely cool. want to check out that town, but for now, you, the way it sounds, it's not safe to venture out that way, but uh, we'll get to yeah, that too. I'm not really sure. I just know in general, like all of those places that are pretty close to the border just kind of have a lot of stuff going on right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the area enough and I don't know somebody who knows it enough that I trust to take me out there. So it's better for me to just, you know, read i appreciate y'all i love y'all and i hope that i will get out there you know at some point but it won't won't be today it won't be tomorrow awesome awesome tiara i'm not going to keep you any longer because i know you got stuff to do but i appreciate you jumping on and and having this conversation with me i really do appreciate it much love to you yeah and i thank y'all for inviting me and like i said you know we will be here we in it for the long haul so whenever y'all do make it down you are welcome. The doors will be open for you. We can't wait to have you. And, you know, everybody else, like, they can follow us on Instagram, see what we got going on. It's Black Sea Cocina. And we're we on TikTok, too. So all of those things. We're just trying to let everybody know what's up and that we have our flag planted here in Mexico City for the Black community whenever we all are down to come through. Absolutely. And to anyone that is listening, if you want to do some sponsorships or partnerships with her and invest in her business, holler at her, man. Holler at her. (laughs) Holler at her. And with that said, remember the mission statement when you're striving for greatness. God never puts you in the driver's seat if it's taking. We are done.